Afroverdict, brought to you by Sputnik Africa. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Verdict, podcast that brings you interesting discussions on the latest developments in African politics, economics and society. I'm your host, Victor Anakin, and today I'm going to explore a topic that has the potential to significantly impact trade relations between China and several African countries. As you may have heard, China has announced zero tariff treatment on imports from Angola, Gambia, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Madagascar, Mali, as well as Mauritania, effective from December 25th, 2023. Now, this move aims to promote economic development and connectivity between China and Africa and gives African countries more opportunities to tap into the Chinese markets. Joining me today to discuss the advantages of this move and China's activity on the continent is Bamindele Adekunle, uh, an author, researcher, and essayist affiliated with the University of Guelph and Toronto Metropolitan University. Mr. Adekunle, welcome to Afro Verdict and thanks so much for joining me uh, during the festive season. <laughs> Thank you very much, Victor. And uh, thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Thanks uh, once again for joining me today. So, um, like I said, on the 25th, China implemented this zero tariff treatment for six African least developed countries, as it described. Explain to us how will this impact trade between these countries and China, and as a result, the economic development of these countries? Yes, thank you very much once again, Victor. But before I start, you know, the implication... We need to understand certain ideas that most people may not really clearly understand when it comes to tariff. So you should understand that tariff benefits the importing nation in terms of income to the government of the country. So because I've seen places where some people are saying that, oh, okay, these governments will make money. No, the essence of a tariff benefits the importing nation. So once the tariff is removed, it creates access. So accessibility is not direct income. Maybe income will follow, but the essence of the removal of the tariff is to create access to the market. And once there's access to the market, that can lead to a situation whereby these countries will be able to produce what otherwise they've not been producing. So the model that really explains what is going on is what is called a preferential treatment. You know, a preferential treatment in the sense that You know, China is trying to give preferences to these countries in Africa. And in the model, it's going to lead to a situation whereby a high-cost producing nation will be able to compete with low-cost producing nations. So, whereas in this case now, whereas when it comes to the, the exclusion of the tariff, we create a situation where, you know, China will lose income that otherwise they will benefit from the tariff. But and it's a way of helping these developing countries. So people should not mix it up. The essence of a, pre- a preferential treatment like this is for, and China is the preference granting nation. So, and in this case, you have six countries from Africa. And like Victor mentioned, mentioned the countries are Angola. So Angola is known for the production of oil, you know, and diamond. But with this preferential treatment, Angola can compete with other countries who are known when it comes to exporting things like lumber and coffee because they also produce. But this preferential treatment, we give access to Angola to now export things and compete when it comes to to the export of coffee and 
because of the removal of the tariff. So their products will be cheaper as compared to all other countries, big exporters that were not given the preference. The same thing with Gambia. Gambia can now export peanuts, granuts, and cotton. So the DRC Congo is known for cobalt, you know, now with the issue of electric cars and things like that, copper. And now they can also export palm oil and coffee too. Madagascar is known for vanilla and coffee. So what is common to all these countries that now they can, because now there's an increase in the consumption of coffee in China, is that they can now compete with other big players when it comes to coffee. So Mali too, cotton, and Mauritania, fish. So all these things will give the, the essence of the preferential, preferential, treat, preferential treatment is to help these nations to compete in, in situations where otherwise they can't compete. Now, in the simple model, China is the importer. Any of these countries exports, and they are low cost, and they are not competitive. And with a preferential treatment given to them by China, they can now enjoy, enjoy duty-free to China, and they'll be able to compete with local producers. And the essence of this is that this will lead to trade creation. First, it will lead to trade diversion. When you divert trade from a low-cost producing nation to a high-cost producing nation, because these are you know, small countries, they don't have economic power per se, but now with this preferential treatment, they can compete with low-cost producing nations. And that will lead to trade diversion. And once the, the cost of production reduces, and if they become efficient, and the prices in the local market, in the Chinese market, becomes lower, then you have a situation whereby you have a trade uh, creation. In other words, the preferential treatment given to, uh, given to all the six countries by the Chinese government will lead to a situation of trade diversion and trade creation. Uh -huh. And if these countries become efficient, they can even become the sole supplier to China when mm. it comes to these commodities. So that's my, my initial explanation when it comes to the, 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 the benefits and the explanation of when you, when you discuss about the zero rates, which is a preferential treatment, and China is a preference-granting nation. All right, now, excellent. Thanks, Mr. Dukulia. So basically, um, ju just, just to say it uh, once again in, in two or three words, uh, basically, what China is doing is at at its own expense is uh, offering competing a competing advantage to these countries in order to help them to develop. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So, what does this move tell us about uh, China's general approach to economic cooperation with African countries? Yeah, thanks once again. The implication is is to because in real life, what we have in real life is a very competitive space. So in this competitive space, what China is doing is to create a level playing field for these countries who otherwise they will not be able to compete. So, and it's a signal that China is interested in a, in a trade that is mutually beneficial to both parties in this game. Thank you. Great, thanks. All right, well, China also plans to expand the zero tariff treatment to all the least developed countries with which it has established the diplomatic relations. Why did China, maybe you can explain this to our listeners, why did China select these six countries specifically 
And why not expand the list to more least developed countries straight away? Why did it choose six at first instead of expanding it immediately? Uh, thank you. You know, preferential treatment is usually for high-cost producers. So it's a way of helping them compete. You know, you help them to enter the market so that they can compete appropriately. So it makes sense to start with the least developed countries. But I also get your point that there are other least developed countries, but it depends on the relationship. You start with countries that you have diplomatic relationships with, and it depends on the level of the relationship. For example, you can look at Angola. China has like, you know, big time relationship with Angola. So, and they also get, you know, with the issue of electric vehicles and things like that, they need to solidify their relationship with DRC Congo. Because when it comes to things like cobalt, copper, you know, DRC produces more than 50%. Some people will say 70% of the global production of these mineral resources. So giving them opportunity to like trade in products like maybe that they don't really have competitive advantage, like palm oil, coffee, which strengthen the relationship. So, and again, I think they will still move to other least developed countries, but they cannot do it for all countries because the big countries will displace the small countries. So let them start with these countries and then later gradually, you know, before now, they've done this for some countries. This is just like an expansion of the number of countries with the zero, zero, with the zero tariff. So gradually it's going to get bigger and it's better to, to do it, you know, so that they also can have the opportunity to support these countries technically. So because if you are giving zero tariff and there's no production coming from these countries, it's a waste of time. Thanks. Okay, okay. So basically it's two things, right? First of all, is that level of trust uh, China will have to have towards the country so that it will know, first of all, uh, like you said, it has to have good diplomatic relations to establish yeah, reciprocity. Reciprocity, you know, is reciprocity, something. Uh, sure, sure. And then uh, it has to be sure that the country will actually take advantage of this, uh, of this trading opportunity. And then second, um, is that if it if it applies this move to too many countries, then it'll be it won't be leveling. The, it'll be too le- you know what I mean. It'll be leveling the field too much. So then, instead of lifting up countries that are struggling with development, it'll lift up everyone equally, and then well, you have the same problem technically. And it may also crowd out, you know, some countries. Yeah, yeah of course, of course. Yeah. Uh, and how does this move? fit into the general trend of China's increasing engagement with African states? So it's, uh, it's logical to have a situation whereby you explore different areas and then you improve the capacity of players in the, in the game. Because this is a game. And when you have a preferential treatment, it contributes positively to China's strategic, because this is not a tactical uh, 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 plan or a tactical approach. This is a strategic approach. And this strategic approach gives China the strength to remain competitive in future. So if you strengthen your partners, they will reciprocate. It's just like tit for tat. So I cooperate with you if you cooperate with me. I support you if you support me. And in game theory, you know, tit for tat is a very desirable game 
when you know that it's something that is forever. It's continuous. So there's a way you try to support. You do, you do me a favor. I do you a favor. You support me. I support you based on reciprocity and to strengthen the both parties in the long run. So I think it's for strategic reasons. And I think China is really taking the step uh, as Nastik, because they already did it on the 25th of December, that China has taken steps in the right direction. Cool. Thanks, uh, Mr. Ajikunle. Um, what other initiatives does China invest in to support development and economic growth across the African continent? Yeah, so thank you. Uh, this is what I've seen traveling around countries in Africa. You know, China has significantly invests, you know, and keeps investing in roads. I've seen that in East Africa, you know, some of the construction flyovers, uh, you know, were constructed by the Chinese. So roads, rails in uh, East Africa, countries like Tanzania, Kenya, these are things I've seen by myself, not that uh, I saw it on TV or something. So I saw China and even in Nigeria, you see the transformation in the rail sector and you see a lot of Chinese uh, involvement. But what I want from China and what, based on my discussion with people who are stakeholders, is that China should get involved more in processes and procedures. Like, for example, if we build a hospital and we don't have professionals to treat people, if you build a university and you don't have uh, faculty members to teach students, it's a waste of resources. So it's not about just infrastructure, building structures alone, roads and things like that. We also need you know, China to, to, to collaborate more with these countries when it comes to you know, processes and pro procedures, capacity building, research and development, because the future is knowledge-based. Of course. So basically, um, capitalizing on infrastructure is good, but apart, yes, uh, yeah. But apart from that, human capital and intellectual capital is just as important. So that you have people that can uh, operate and manage these these uh, well infrastructure and technological advantages. Thank you. Great. Yeah, uh, how uh, how does China's presence presence on the continent influence continental and regional trends in Africa? Thank you. So, like for example, we just mentioned infrastructure. That is why we said is important. You can see that the provision of infrastructure has been able to like help the countries link. So, so you can see the the rail from Addis to Djibouti. So. So you can see roads, you know, constructed across borders, you know, SGR, you know, from one point to another. And so all those things are very helpful when it comes to strengthening economic block, whether you're talking about the East African community or Comesa or even the African continental free trade uh, area itself. So not to talk about even regional blocks like ECOWAS, Economic Community of West African States. So, but that was why I said that. China needs to spend more in research and development capacity building, for example, in strengthening things like single window that will facilitate trade, things like one-stop border posts, you know, things like enhancement of customs, so, so things like harmonization of processes and procedures. So like you have this thing called Trademark East Africa, 
which is funded by countries from the West, and, and they are helping you know, uh, to build capacity and even spend money on one-stop border posts in East Africa. So China should be involved in the strengthening of capacity in processes that will facilitate trade. So both within the, within the continent and the trade between the continent, different countries in the continent and China. Thanks, Mr. Dekunle. You know, now that you mentioned the West, um, how do you say Russia's and China's engagement with the global South differ to that of the West? So that's a very, you know, you know, interesting question because all the players in this game are not perfect. You know, they all have their, you know, things that they do well. And uh, mm. so, but the truth of the matter is that they all have their credits. So, but when it comes to Russia and China, they are involved in what these countries need. But in the case of the West, most of the time is about what they think these countries want. So, but China, you know, especially China, based on what we have on ground, is, is glaring that most of the things that China will get involved in are things that these countries really need. But in the case of the West, it may be based on what they think they want. So, but at the same time, all of them, whether it's Russia, China, or the West, they need to spend more on research and development. You know, they, they need to let us see the, the agreement, transparent agreements. And this is, China has been accused of this several times, but China is getting better. You know, there should be minimal labor importation for projects based in Africa. And there should be technology transfer. If you do a rail in, 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 in Nigeria, in Kenya, and you, for any technical support you need to go to China, that is not good enough. So there should be tech transfer. And again, there should also be support with regards to quality control. So in terms of standards. So language skills, you know, people should be, there should be the support for people to, more people should be able to speak Mandarin. And we need to strengthen the trade experts that we have on the continent. And again, it is very important for contracts to reflect socioeconomic impacts. So we have to be sustainable in anything we do. It's not that we do trade at the expense of the generation that will come in the future. So, so that's the sustainability is also very important. All right, thanks, Mr. Adekunle. You know, um, Russia's President Vladimir Putin said that Russia's vision within the Eurasian Economic Union and Greater Eurasia completely complements that of China. How do you think joint projects of these two regional powers, Russia and China, such as the Belt and Road Initiative, for example, impact the economy of the West? So, the, the, better, the better road creates external economies of scales. Because if you want to under trade, you can have uh, economies of scale. You can have internal economies of scale and external economies of scale. So, so the thing about Bertrand Road is that it creates external economies of scale and it will reduce the average cost of production because there will not be specialized uh, suppliers. Because people, as they are moving around from this country to that country, experts will move around and eventually, all the people producing the product in that particular country will benefit from specialized information. And there's also market pooling. 
People can easily get labor, uh, you know, that will like enhance, you know, the required skills needed. And there'll be knowledge spillover. That's the thing about things like Bertrand Road. When you have Bertrand Road, there'll be knowledge spillover, there'll be research and development, there'll be special economic zones where, you know, people can do things together. It's like benefiting from Silicon Valley or Bangalore in, uh, in India because it's easy for ideas to, 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 to flow. And I think there is one zone in Djibouti just developed recently. So the Bertrand Road will eventually create economies of scale, external economies of scale that will now reduce the average cost of the producers as a result of, you know, specialized suppliers, you know, market pooling, including labor, labor pooling and the knowledge spillover. So those are the ideas that I can think of, I can think of as of as of now. Okay, thanks. And the, the, these developments within the well, the Belt and Road Initiative, as an example of efforts coming from Russia and China, yes. do they affect Western economies in any way? Yeah. So, so it's going to like affect their you know, their relevance. It's going to affect their relevance. And if you look at it, the Bertan Road will or may sideline the West. For example, let me give you a typical example. China has the longest fast rail in the world, 42,000 kilometers. And, and China has a rail network of of about one one hundred and fifty thousand kilometers, forty two thousand kilometers of fast rail, one fifty thousand kilometers of regular rail network. No country in the world has the expertise acquired by China as a result of learning by doing. So, apparently, other countries that want to invest when it comes to rail and things like that, we need to learn from China. And that's one of the things that you have with the Better Road infrastructure, road, rail, and things like that, you know, parts. So, and China already, if a country has 42 kilometers of fast rail and 150,000 kilometers of rail network, they can easily teach other countries. And that, you know, we for sure sideline the West. So it's apparent. All right, thanks a lot. Um, De-dollarization has been quite a hot topic this year. I'm sure you've heard what currency will the trade between China and these six African countries be conducted in now that the uh, customs tariffs are cut? And what benefits can African countries reap from, uh, well, yeah, depending on, let, let's start with the currencies. What country, uh, what currency do you think they'll be using? Yeah, I, I think the currency for the transaction should be the yuan, the renminbi. That's the Chinese currency. Because China is a big player and they have you know, a bank that they can use for the clearing. So, and already China has a currency swap agreement with three big countries in Africa. You know, they did it with Egypt in 2016, Nigeria in 2018, and South Africa in 2015. So I don't think they have a a currency swap agreement with these six countries, but that notwithstanding, they can still transact, you know, in uh, the the yuan, you know, is going to be, and then yuan on the Chinese side, and those countries will get it in their own local currency. So I think uh, yuan should or renminbi 
should be the currency of uh, transaction because the problem is that those these countries, even though they have their own currencies, but the currencies are not necessarily convertible and they are not really uh, currencies that are really that uh, strong. Because, for example, Mali, CEFA, is, uh, is not even controlled by Mali itself. It's a currency by a currency used by other West African countries, so Francophone West African countries. So, and it's not something that Mali has a control over. So, but Mali can see transact. So, I think China will take the leadership. So, it makes sense to help these six countries to trade in their own local currency while exchanging it with the renminbi. So, uh, you know, there will be clearinghouse. So, renminbi. So, otherwise. Exchange rate volatility may undermine the, pref- the preferential treatment because uh, a, a lot can change and affect you know things when it comes to exchange rate. I think that was why the big countries like Egypt, Nigeria, and South Africa uh, that was why they have a currency swap arrangement or agreement with China. So, so that's it. Okay. Um, thanks, Mr. Dekunle. Sergei Lavrov, Russia's foreign minister, called the dollar a tool of interference and regime change. And according to him, this is one of the reasons why Russia is looking for an alternative payment mechanism. Uh, first of all, do you agree with this statement? And how does Africa feel about the negative consequences of the current financial system? Is there a need for reform, perhaps? Now, my own my own impression about the situation is that you know the dollar is this strong, it's petrodollar, and um, it has been pegged. You know, that's the the you know whether we like it or not, crude oil is still very important, and that's the only that's the that's the currency for for that. So the thing is that the landscape is changing, and some other currencies are becoming stronger. So it may happen in future. But I think there's still a role for the dollars to play. Um, but I think there's also comp- there's a need for competition. So when it comes to the currency market, and uh, it's not good for a particular currency to be powerful in this 21st century. So I think there is competition. But I think for, for the next uh, few years, I think uh, the dollar will still be very powerful. Not as powerful as before, because it's going to face competition from BRICS, from yuan, from other currencies, and then and then from different uh, trade relationships and political arrangements. So, but for sure, the dollar will still be relevant in the foreseeable future. But what will happen afterwards? And the dollar is relevant, but these other currencies or these other arrangements will become they will become stronger too. And so we have to watch. Because the future is, is is difficult to predict. Yeah, sure, by all means, by all means. But uh, th- yeah. thanks for your insight, uh, you know, giving our listeners a quick peek into the future. What impact does the development of relations between countries of the global south in general have on the global economy? Okay, this is a very, you know, interesting and very important question. You know, because it will strengthen the global value chain. And it will also allow entrance and accessibility to markets. For example, when it comes to the issue of medications, so because of the issue of voluntary and compulsory licensing, 
under intellectual property right. If there's a collaboration between South-South, then there'll be accessibility. Look at what happened with the issue of vaccines. So I think collaboration, South-South collaboration, we create access for people in these uh, developing countries or the South to have access to things that are really expensive. Let me give you an example. For example, there was a time antiretroviral drugs, they were very expensive in Kampala, Uganda. But, and then because of the challenges with compulsory licensing, uh, a voluntary licensing, and the fact that if you do a generic drug, you cannot export to a third country. So the, the government of, of Uganda and some other stakeholders are to like form a collaboration with CIPLA, which is a, gene a generic drug manufacturer in India. So to establish a plant so that to, to bypass all these issues of export, you know, compulsory, to, to, to establish a plant in Kampala. And because of the establishment of the plant in Kampala by an Indian company, that reduced the price of antiretroviral drugs from $16,000 per, per year to $100. So now there's, there's a disease called hepatitis C. But there is a drug, Savodi, that can treat the disease in three months. Is $1,000 per tablet in the West. But the same drug is $4 in, in India. So because they produce generic. Now, let me be clear. Generic is not counterfeit. Generic is just done based on reverse engineering. So if there is a trade between South-South countries, between India, you know, with, with, with many uh, organizations producing generic, and they can establish plants in other countries, then that will make a drug like, uh, uh, like Savodi to be cheap for people to have access. And look at what happened with vaccines now produced by the Serum, the Serum Institute of India. So, and look at the way people in Africa were not able to get access. So assuming they can form a collaboration that you know, we allow a situation whereby these generic companies can establish their plants in these African countries, then they will have to bypass. It will be easy for them to bypass uh, the issue of export to a third country, a compulsory licensing. For so it will be easy for them to produce these drugs and people will have access. So those, that's just one of the examples when it comes to South-South uh, you know, global relationship. So, so that's, that's all I have to say, just to let our listeners just get a glimpse into the benefit associated with South-South collaboration. Mr. Adekunle, thank you so much for joining me as always. It was a huge pleasure to have you with me on the Afroverde podcast. Happy holidays. <laughs> thank you very much, Victor. And, uh, you know, enjoy the season. All well, the best in the new year. And that's that for today's episode. I hope you found our discussion on China's zero-tariff move on imports from these African countries and the economic cooperation among countries of the global south quite informative. So as we've discussed, this policy has the potential to quite significantly benefit both Chinese industries and African exporters while promoting economic development in Africa through trade and investment. Make sure to check out Sputnik Africa Telegram channel, TikTok account and other socials to remain updated on the most important global and local events. 
And remember that you can also listen to the Afroverted podcast on platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Deezer, Podcast Addict, CastBox, Afropods, and Pocket Casts. This is the last Afro Verdict episode for 2023. So I wish all of you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Stay safe and responsible throughout the festive season. Don't do what I wouldn't. I'm your Afro Verdict host, Victor Anakin, and thank you for your support throughout the year. That said, I'll be signing off. So I'll see you next year in January. Afro Verdict, brought to you by Sputnik Africa.